0: God, I know that there is not one single person here this morning who is here by mistake. God, every one of us, we have so many things behind us, in the week behind us, in the years behind us, but here you've brought us all together this morning. and I know that some of us are so eager to be here and so glad that we get to be with your people singing and praising. And then there are others of us, well, our lives have become so scattered and chaotic It's hard to be anywhere, but here we are, and you've brought us together for a reason, and I know it, and I thank you. So I ask very simply now that your spirit would be present wherever we are in faith, that your spirit would be present to open our hearts, every one of us, to give us ears to hear what you wanna say, to open our minds to grow and to help change us into the people that you want us to be. And I ask for this in the name of Jesus, who is your son and our friend and our savior. In his name we pray all together. Amen. Amen. The summer is ending and maybe over, and so is our series on characters of faith. If you've been here this Sunday, Uh, This summer, and and before this Sunday, you know that all summer long, we've been focusing in on characters whose lives show us what faith looks like. Uh, At the beginning of this season, the elders and the staff and I uh, sought what God would do with us in this summer. And we decided in part on this particular series, trusting that when a person sees what faith looks like in another then they grow in their own faith. Uh, Our goal uh, as a staff, in addition to growing in generosity, has been to see Renaissance growing in discipleship. That is, to see each and every one of you growing in your own relationship with God. And our hope has been, as we've looked at different characters throughout the summer, our hope has been that not just you'd see something interesting, but you would be inspired to the faith of another in such a way that you would grow. That's been our hope all along, and it's our hope again this morning as we come for one last Sunday to consider a character whose faith will help us grow, and this morning we are going to look once again at the character of King David, the shepherd boy. But instead of looking at a scene from the end of his life, like I led us through last week, we're going to look at one of the very first stories told about him, when he was just a boy. I mean the story of David and Goliath. You wanted to say it because you all know it, right? We all know that story. And this week past, I was at breakfast and I asked my kids, do you guys know the story of David and Goliath? They're nine and seven. And my son responded very quickly, yeah, I know that story. My favorite part is when they chop them up into little pieces and throw them at the Philistines. It's really what they do. And then my daughter responded, ew, but cool. Uh, Yes, it is a story that has a rather violent theme. And I just saw a 10-year-old boy give a thumbs up to his parents. I'm glad I stayed here instead of Sunday school. Violence. Woo-hoo. We have guests who are staying with us this weekend. And so just out of curiosity, I asked them, they have a a young son. Uh, I asked them, what's the point of the story of David and Goliath? And he responded very quickly, even though you're small, you're vicious. And then our daughter Lily added, well, yeah, but uh, God is with David, something like that. That's the point. And then my son took it even further. No matter how small you are, it doesn't matter because you can do anything with the power of God. And, And as I listened to each one of them, I thought to myself, you know, even a child can catch something of what God wants to teach through that story. There are many points that I'm sure are in that story. And and many points for every one of us, for those of us who are here who are young. There are some lessons in this story for you, Uh, for those of us who are very old, that most of our lives are behind us and everything in between. Uh, In this story, a story in which we get to see one character, David, living his faith, behaving in a way that is directly the result of what he has chosen to believe about God, there are lessons for us in faith. Here's what we're going to do this morning as we wind up this series. I'm going to set the story before us again so that we can observe four lessons about faith. And I really want every one of you, wherever you are in faith right now, to grow. And listen now, here's my challenge to you, and I want to give you this challenge before we get into the story. Many of you will have heard this story so many times, and you will have maybe been tempted to think, Well, I know the story already. There's nothing new in it. Not true at all. Every single time we discipline ourselves to listen to the stories that come in the scriptures, I promise you that when we do that, God is ready to teach us and to change us. And so here's what I want you to do I want you to use your imagination this morning. And picture yourself there, shoulder to shoulder with the characters that we'll see in this story. And then, and do this even now, and then to ask God. Okay, for some of you, you know and trust God. Ask him this morning. For others of you, you're not sure even if you believe in God. Nonetheless, try this. Say, God, if you are, if you are real, would you teach me something this morning? Because I know it, every one of you needs to learn. Every one of you. And you need to learn what God himself can teach you. And if we will stand in this story imaginatively, there with David and Goliath and the rest of them, whoever we are, God will teach us something. And I've got four lessons for you. And I I want you to see them desperately. Okay, and we'll get into the story and read of it in a minute. But before we can learn anything from it, I need to give you a little bit of the background. And then our first lesson will come from the setting of the story. Here's the background that you need to know. Many years before David, we meet a character in in the scriptures called Abraham. He's a man who is visited by God unexpectedly and God gives him promises. He promises to this man that one day his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. He promises to this man that through his descendants, that God Himself will bless the world. Doesn't the world need to be blessed? And then, and then He also promises to this man, Abraham, that He will give him a land to settle in for His people, because without a good land, they'll never prosper. And these three promises, they move this man, Abraham, in faith through His life, so that as the generations unfold, we begin to see how those promises come to be a reality. Abraham has His children, and His descendants flourish. They begin to show signs that they'll become the people that God will use to bless the world. And they find themselves on the brink of a land of great promise, a land of milk and honey, it's called in the scriptures, a land that has all of the pleasure and all of the provisions that any people could ever want or need. The promise of God moves these people right into the place where they are about to lay hold of everything good that God has promised them. And then, and then on the brink of inheriting those promises, there are in the land those people who stand between God's people, Israel, and the good promises that God has given them. And this is the setting of the story of, of David and Goliath. I want you to listen now with the story on one side and your own life on the other side. This is where you. I want you to listen with your own life. There stands between the people of God and the good promise that God has given them an enemy, a foe, a challenge which is too much for them. And that's where the story is set. I want you to see the way the narrator in 1 Samuel 17, where the story is recorded, describes the setting. In verse three, here's what you read. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. The Philistines, that's the name of one of the people that are the most resistant to God's uh, people, that, that stand in the way of the promises that God has given to his people Israel. And the scene that we're gonna consider this morning between David and Goliath takes place between two mountains. On one mountain, the people of Israel, they see into the distance the very land that God had promised to give them. And then on the other mountain, standing against them, the Philistines, and between these two, a valley. That is, between the promises of God and the people where they find themselves in the present, there is a valley. And the only way for those people to experience what God has promised to give them is to go down into the valley. Think of this for a moment. Uh, you know the expression mountaintop experience, right? That means you had. Uh, You had some experience that was so good, you had to grasp at some inspirational metaphor to capture how great it was. You were on top of, of the world. You were in a place where all confusion and, and lack of clarity had disappeared and you could see into the distance. You had a special vision for the things that were ahead of you. And so all of that confusion was gone. You were in a place where it was safe. You were in a place where it was pleasant. And you were in a place where you were close to God. And it just felt so good. You felt high up there on the mountaintop. And that is that is a metaphor that describes what we want. We all want that, Right? And the opposite of that, of course, is to be in the valley. The place where you can't see very far. The place where you're confused and closed in. The place where it's dry and desperate and frightening. The place where there are enemies that want to stand in your way. And here, in the setting of the story of David and Goliath, we stumble upon a first lesson about faith, which every one of us needs to know before we even see David. And the lesson is very simply this. Faith leads into the valley. I know that many of us will have learned to believe that once I have faith in Jesus, all of my problems go away and my life becomes easy. If I have troubles it's because I don't have enough faith yet and if I only work up more faith then all of my problems will go away many of us will want to believe that and have been taught that because it's a rather popular way of of talking about faith but the truth is it's an absolute and utter lie it's not how it actually works with faith you see here in the story very plainly that faith for the Israelites is to follow on God's path and the only way they can get to where God has led them is not to keep going from mountaintop to mountaintop mountaintop, but rather to descend into the valley. And the truth for every one of you in here this morning is that if you are going to be a person who grows in faith, sometimes your faith will lead you not away from, but directly into a valley. Mmm You're a high school student. And this summer was great. You had a great summer. It was like a mountaintop experience all summer long. You decided to follow Jesus this summer. You know, there are four kids from the middle school group at Renaissance who decided to follow Jesus this summer. Four girls who said, I'm gonna follow you. I believe in him, I trust in him. That was a mountaintop experience for them. And you know, the summer's almost over. And when I say that, you're like, oh, too bad. You know, traffic patterns change. But for them, it's like I've just made them drink a vial of poison, right? Because school is awful, am I right? A couple of you, yes. And and they're like, preacher, preach it. Yeah, you have to go into an environment where your peers are extremely good at being mean. And now they have something that I, I didn't have when I was a kid and your parents didn't have, which is the internet, which means they can shame you publicly before thousands instantly. And so you're always looking over your shoulder to see if someone posted something about you. And that's horrible. We can't even imagine how hard that is. And then there's homework and there's so much more homework now than there used to be. What is wrong with the educational system? Kids, don't do your homework. (laughs) And there's the pressure from your parents and the pressure from your peers and your teachers to do better than everybody else so you can get into the greatest college. And it is like a valley. I know this and I'm sorry. And you might be tempted to think, Now that I decided to follow Jesus, it's supposed to be easy. Why am I having to deal with all of this misery? And you have to deal with it because faith leads into valleys, not just away from them. Forgive your parents and all of us if we've given you the impression that life is always easy and that following Jesus makes all your problems go away. It doesn't. But this is not the end of the message. There's three other uh, lessons for you, and I want you to get them. But as adults, right, you fell in love with her and she was so beautiful and you were so passionate. And then you got married and it was great. But then there were all these challenges that came up along and you're, you had kids and you had, the career began to unfold and it got a lot more complicated and suddenly there's less passion than there is resentment in your life. And all of a sudden you're far apart. And now you're married and it's, it's not what it was and it's really hard. And you're trying your very best to obey Jesus in your marriage and you think, why is it like this? I have faith. Faith leads into valleys. Or, or it ended. She decided, I'm through with you. I, I want to find somebody else. Or he said, no, I don't love you anymore. i off with a new girlfriend and now you're divorced and you're alone and you have to juggle the children back and forth between you and him. And the kids are torn up over this. They can't stand living between these two worlds and neither can you. And it, it's easier not being married, but gosh, it's so hard being divorced and you don't know how to handle all of this challenge. And you think, I, I'm trying to have faith. I'm trying to follow those characters, but here's a valley. And look, here's the thing. Every single life has its valleys, You can walk away from God and I guarantee you, you'll be in totally destructive valleys, but you should follow God. And when you do, you'll still find yourself in valleys at every stage of life. It's harder than you knew to be a parent. It's harder than you knew to be a child. It's harder than you knew To take care of your parents as they age, to manage your career, to work with finances that never materialize as you wish they would. It's even hard to manage the church that you go to because even though it was great at first, now there's this thing that's not as good as you had wished. The coffee is too hot. It's too cold. It's too weak, right? Weak coffee. Who's got time for that? I'd rather drink dishwater. There's too many steps. The music goes for too long. There's too much smoke on stage. The smoke machine was out of control today. All right, can I just say it, or whatever? But you'll find so many valleys. But here, this is a lesson for you, and it's worth its weight in gold. That's how it should be with faith. It leads into valleys. If Israel's going to claim the promises that God has given them, they're going to have to leave the mountaintop and go into the terrifying valley. And you know what's in the valley? This is where we got introduced to the first character in our story. Goliath is in that valley. Goliath is like Andre the Giant covered in bronze. Andre the Giant has a posse. Do you not know who Andre the Giant is? (laughs) Imagine him covered in bronze. That's That's what Goliath is. Goliath's got a bronze helmet. He's got bronze, a suit of mail that is so heavy that five men can't even carry it. He's got bronze shin guards. His legs are covered in bronze. He's got a bronze spear and a bronze javelin, and the javelin is bigger than a weaver's beam. And we all know how heavy a weaver's beam is, right? When it's made out of wood, it's hard to carry. Imagine a bronze weaver beam. This every day, this guy comes into the valley, and he does ancient smack talk in the faces of the people of Israel. And he tells them, you go ahead and send your best guide here. I will eat him for lunch. Go ahead, give me your best warrior and watch what happens. I will destroy you utterly. And there in the valley, which faith is leading the Israelites into, this giant is so unbelievably terrifying that all of the men of Israel, every one of the warriors has the same reaction. And it's described in chapter 17 in verse 24, where we read, All the Israelites, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. The Israelites said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. That is their way of saying, there is no way we are ever going to experience the promises that God has given Israel. We know the promises that God has given us, but this guy is too strong and he's come up to defy us all. And so the only response we have to what we see when we look at this man is to run away because it's just too terrifying. Now, hold on a minute and come back to whatever valley and whatever giant you face because you are trying to walk after God and you're hanging in there in your marriage and you're deciding to be a young person who still has faith in school. And you're doing your best to parent your children as God himself has helped you see. This is how you do it. And you're trying to walk on the right path in your business because even though it would be easier if you were dishonest, you wanna do what's right, all right? Put yourself in that valley. And I'm telling you, even though some of you I've never met before, I promise you that there is going to be a moment where you stand face to face with a giant that makes you want to run away. I know it. I know some of you, I know some of the giants which you face and I know how natural it would be when you look at what's there in front of you, in conflict and what's in your past, right? Or in the, the, the indeterminacy of what's ahead of you with your work or the challenge it is to let go of your kids in this way and to accept something new. I know that all of you are ready when you look at it to run away because it's too scary. And I can remember what it was like in school, and I can only imagine how much I would run if I were you now. But here's the second lesson in faith. It is that when you're there in the valley looking at the giant, faith learns this. Faith learns how to see beyond the giant. It's a guarantee that as long as you're in that valley facing that giant, and that's all you look at, you are going to melt. Your heart is gonna turn into wax, and you're not gonna be able to do anything at all. But what faith learns, and here's what we learn when we see David, and I think this might even be the first time that David as a character in the Bible speaks. What we see with David's response to the situation is what faith looks like, and it is that faith learns to see beyond the giant. David is not a warrior. He's a shepherd, and he's not there in the battlefront. The only reason he shows up is his father, who has other sons who are there fighting, looks at his son David and says, you know, you'd be good for something. Why don't you bring bread and grain and cheese to the troops? They really would like that. Go ahead, get involved. Yeah, pitch in, little guy. Oh, that's great, right? So David goes with his food to the front lines, and he's there talking with his brothers when Goliath comes and starts doing his trash talk again, and he listens, and David sees how everyone else responds, and what he notices is they're looking at the wrong thing. And so here's how he responds, and this is how Faith chooses to see beyond the giant. This is David's words. This is in verse 26. David says this: Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he, you know, he's you know what that means, right? I don't need to describe that. that he should defy the armies of the living God. He's not even a part of God's people, this uncircumcised Philistine. I don't care how big he is. I know where he comes from. And he's not a part of God's people. And who is he to defy the armies, not that have more strength or more power or more ingenuity? No, but the armies of the living God. That is, David sees right beyond this giant to the truth that behind the efforts that David himself it has undertaken in all of these people is the God who is alive. And no matter how strong David is, or excuse me, no matter how strong Goliath is, and no matter how small David is, God is stronger and he knows it. And he sees beyond the giant to that glorious truth, which every one of you right now this morning is invited also to see beyond your own valley and your own giant to see that truth that there is more behind the challenge that you face. You're invited now to take your eyes off of all of the trouble and all of the difficulty. And by the way, this does not only apply to individuals, it applies to groups of individuals. It applies to marriages. It applies to families. It applies to friendship groups. It applies to businesses and all kinds of organizations that are out to do something good in the world, and it applies to churches too. We can take our eyes off now and then, the things that aren't working, and then let them see beyond the giant so that we see what David himself surely saw. And here's the third lesson. I want you to understand what David saw in that moment as he looked past the giant. And it's a third lesson about faith. And it is that faith trusts that God is present. That is there on the battlefield with the frightening specter of this giant Right there, staring him down in the face. David could look beyond him and trust that even though it's hard to see, God himself is present and God is mightier still. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you know who wrote those words? I interpret that sneeze to be David. (laughs) That means exactly right. It was David who wrote those words. Later on in his life, when he reflected back on what he had learned, he could write, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he could go on to write, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And this is a valley which is deadly for David and all the others. And there is evil staring him right in the face. And it is Goliath. And the reason he doesn't need to fear that evil is for you are with me. Not I've figured out how to make faith work and that's why I won't be afraid. Not I've figured out how to control my child who's going down the wrong path. Now that I can figure out how to make my child okay, then I won't be afraid. No, not that. Not I've I've read enough books about how to make marriage work and I've got the answers and I've got it all together. None of that is why he is not afraid. It's only one reason, for you are with me. And I promise you, this is the best thing. I get to say this to you this morning. It's the best thing. God is with you. Actually, the fourth point will be a little better, so don't don't, don't lose interest yet. God is with you wherever you are. And someone will say, wait, hold on. I know the story of, of David, well, the reason God was with him is that the prophet Samuel had anointed David so that the spirit of the Lord rested upon him. And that is true. David in his own time had a special measure of God's presence that not everyone else had. But please listen to this. When Jesus looked at men and women like I look at you right now and knew that they were working at their very best to trusting him and following him, he gave them a promise which I get to give to you, which is if you will choose to trust Jesus and give up on trusting in yourself and say to him, I need you, I need you to go into the valley, I need you to help me face this giant because I cannot do it on my own, then Jesus' promise to you is that the spirit of the living God does not just rest upon you, but lives within you. And that means there's no valley and no giant that you must face alone because God has promised to to abide inside of you if you will trust him. If it's your high school, trust him. He's there with you. If it's your family, which is so chaotic and awful, you can't possibly manage it. If it's being divided between mom and dad, trust him. God will be with you. If it's your own marriage, if it's your own singleness and the divorce that's behind you and the challenges that come with being a single parent, if it's the new church that you're trying out, if it's the job that fell apart and you don't know what you're going to do with work, if it's, if it's managing your adult children, if it's becoming older yourself and having to lose all of your friends who are dear to you and, and your own health, whatever it is, trust him that you can see beyond the giant and know that God himself promises to be present with you. I know that for sure. It's why David, after hearing this giant defy all of those troops and seeing their own response, did not run away like everybody else wanted to run away. And you don't run away, don't. What David did instead is recorded in in verses 43 and following. This is absolutely remarkable. Uh, He decides to go down on the battlefield where the giant comes out, Goliath, like he had day after day. And David stands there, as Goliath says, this is in verse 43, uh, as Goliath sees him, he looks at David and says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? This is that ancient trash talk in action. (laughs) David comes out, you know in movies how when the good guy is there and the bad guy who's about to utterly destroy the good guy before like ending the scene, the bad guy does like that villain monologue. You know what I'm talking about? They stole that from here. That's where this starts. He continues, the Philistine said to David, excuse me, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. They can't put that part in the Bible. It's too naughty. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. Come on, and I'm gonna make you dinner for the animals and the birds. This is ugly and evil. And the only reason that David can respond as he does is that he trusts that God is with him. Look at how David responds. This is verse 45. But David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And then he says, this very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And then read this on your own if you like. David goes on to his own uh, villainous monologue trying to intimidate the giant. And the fact is the only reason David can speak as he does is he trusts the very same thing that you're invited to trust, which is that God will win the battle. That he doesn't have what it takes. Only God does. But the God who has called him and invited him is present and faithful. Now, I want you to uh, come back to your own life for a moment. We'll come to the story for our last lesson in a second. But I want you again to let it come into your mind, the valley and the giant for you. And I know that you're afraid. And I know that I have no idea how afraid you are. I understand that. And I know that some of you in here are so weak in this moment that you're thinking, if he only knew, he wouldn't say it for me. And you know, you're hundred percent right. No one understands. You've got it hard and someone's going to come, your friend's going to come and say, oh, I understand. They don't. They don't. And I don't know either, but I know that God understands and that he is with you in the valley. And I know this that you are going to, in this moment, you're going to try to say, all right, I'm going to trust that he's there. But then your mind is going to do the same thing that every mind, every single mind, always does when it faces a giant. You're going to start to say, but if only I had some more courage. But if only the prognosis had come back more positive. But if, but if only I had some more energy than I have at this part, this point in my life. But if only those friends back there hadn't done what they did to me, if only they'd asked for forgiveness, if only she wasn't so difficult, if only my child would get away from those friends and find some new friends. And you're going to say, if only, if only, if only. And when you do that, you are never gonna face the giant. You're going to run away. And I know that David faced this temptation and so did all of the people around him because the moment he stood up and said, I'm ready to stand against that giant, the people around him said, well, we'll send you in But before you go in, you have to get a few things changed because if only you had some armor, if only you were more like a warrior, if only you had some weaponry like we have, if only you were someone other than you are, then maybe you could face this battle. And it's right there in the story. When David steps forward and says, I'm ready to go, the king at the time, Saul, brings him into, uh, into his quarters and says as follows, this is verse 38, Saul, that's the king, clothed David with his armor, with his armor, that is Saul's armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried in vain to walk for he was not used to them. And you have to use your imagination here in a moment and put yourself in that armory to see what's happening. But what's happening in effect is Saul is saying to David, okay, you can go to the battle, but you have to be someone else. If only you were different than you are. And I know that you are gonna leave and the devil is gonna trick you into thinking that that was a great inspirational message. But if only these other things were different, then you could do it. And so you're gonna go looking for armor that's not yours. And what faith does is it knows, this is the fourth lesson, faith knows that God has already provided everything that's necessary. You think right now, you think, no, he's wrong. He doesn't know how little money I have and how desperate we are. He doesn't know how little love there is between us. He has no idea how chaotic it is because of our son and his friends. Or he doesn't know how hard high school is. He admitted it at the beginning. You're right. But what I know is that God has already provided you everything that you need. I know it. And David shows us that in his response to putting on the armor. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. That is, don't, don't try to make me into somebody that I'm not. That's not how God works. I can't even read, I'm crying so much. <laughs> so David removed them, and then he took his staff. That was the, the tool that he had as a shepherd. It's just a stick, in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the wadi. The wadi is the dried up creek bed where a shepherd would have spent lots of his time. He went down there and he found some stones, little stones. And he put them in his shepherd's bag. It's not a warrior's instrument, it's a working man's instrument. He puts them right there in the pouch, and his sling was in his hand. It's just a sling. And he drew near to the Philistine. And a nine year old boy knows what happens even though you're small, you're vicious. And the giant falls and they slice him up and they throw him all over the place. Because God had already given David everything he needed and all he needed to do is to look what God had already put in his hands. And I know that I don't know you. I know it. Even those of you who I know the best, I understand that I don't know you. And I'm not as presumptuous to stand up here and tell you that I do. But I do know God And I do know faith from this story teaches me that you have what you need in your hands already. You do. And what you need to do is to wait patiently for the Lord and open your eyes and your heart to see the faith that David had, even as a boy, and let it challenge and shape you. The faith which which is ready to leave behind the immature and inaccurate expectation that once I start to follow God, everything will be easy. Let's let that go together. Can we all let that go? Look, faith is going to lead us into valleys. And then the faith, which has enough perspective in the valley to look beyond the giants, to lift our eyes up from that challenging thing and to look beyond and to know the truth because we see it here and we see it over and over again in all the stories in scripture and the lives of faithful men and women who've gone before us and even who sit beside us bear witness to the truth that in the most challenging times, God is present. And they're seeing that then let's all decide together to go on knowing that God has given us what we need. And I invite you to believe this as an individual. If you're gonna trust Jesus, you've got everything you need. So do it. And then I challenge us as a church all together. And I take responsibility for this as the lead pastor. I want you to remind me of these lessons I need to remember, but I wanna charge you as a church to become a church that lives its faith in a way that is real because the world is filled with valleys and giants that need to be toppled by those who trust God enough to go at them in his strength, to say no to evil and wickedness and hate, and to say yes to love and goodness and grace and mercy in God's name. Can we do this together as a church on our own strength? Absolutely not. We haven't got a fighting chance. But can we do it in God's power with his presence? Absolutely. What do we need to do it? Well. Everything that we need, God has provided already. So what do you say we go for together? What do you think? All right. It's not exactly a battle cry, but that'll do for this morning. (laughs) Let's pray together. God, for every man and woman who's in this place this morning, I give you great thanks. For those whose hands have been at work in Renaissance Church for many, many years, as well as for those who are here for the very first time, we thank you and ask very simply that all of us equally would have received the gifts that you intended to give through your Holy Spirit this morning as we've dwelt on this story of David and Goliath. God, let these lessons of faith descend from our minds down into our hearts so that we're changed, so that we have the kind of courage and determination that we see in this young man, David, And not for our sakes alone, but so that we can be your light in the world which needs light, so that we can be people who show others the truth about you, that you are good, that you are present, that you are powerful, and that you are mighty to help us against any foe we encounter. God, I love you. And I thank you for the the calling that you've put in my life, that I get to be the pastor here with these people. I thank you for everyone who's here and who's a part of this. And God, I pray also that all of us would see, every one of us, not just those of us who work in churches, but every one of us would see that you've given us a brilliant and a good calling, even in this valley which we face now. As we sing now, God, reassure our hearts that you are with us and that you are mighty. Help us in Jesus' name we pray.